love doing that, love ministry, so I'm excited to be here with you guys. I know uh, a couple weeks ago, Rick kind of joked about how we came in for a season of rest, and uh, here we are, you know, every, early every Sunday, getting here, setting things up. Uh, I don't know how to rest very well, so uh, no, we love it here, though. We love being a part of this, uh, my wife and I. Uh, a little bit about myself, like I said, 10 years as a youth pastor. Before that, I was in the military for six years. Uh, so everyone likes to laugh. It's kind of weird going from that to a youth pastor to like, you know, all, I just, I, I do weird things, I guess. Um, if you guys have met my amazing wife, she's not here this morning. Uh, she had to work, unfortunately, but she's always here this week. Uh, she's always here on Sundays, uh, you know, just being supportive, being awesome. She's really great. She has bright green hair, so it's hard to miss her. Um, but she, she just wanted to let you guys know she's sad she couldn't be here, uh, but she's just excited to be a part of the family as well here. We have our daughter, who you guys probably hear every Sunday running down the halls, yelling at the top of her lungs. Uh, my wife and I are actually incredible introverts, believe it or not. Um, I don't mind speaking in front of people. You get me in a crowd of people, I'm just really awkward. But uh, we're incredible introverts. Our daughter is the exact opposite. Uh, she wants everyone to know that she is there, she is the one that is in charge, and she is the life of the party. So obviously, she runs the show at home. <laughs> uh, but this morning, I'm excited to continue on in our prayer series. Uh, I want to start with just asking a, a really great, great question, and I'm raising my hand for this one already. You don't have to actually raise your hands, because this is great. Uh, anyone else really hate admitting when they're wrong, right? I hate it. Uh, growing up, I was what you would call bullheaded. Um, I was very much strong-willed, and I was, I like to call it independent. Um, people probably say something else, but that's what I call it. In my mind, I had all the answers, uh, and I was always right. Anyone else? Any, anyone? Uh, that, that's how I live my life. Um, I'd like to say I got, I'm, I'm better now, and I'm like reformed. Ask my wife, she'd probably say not much has changed. It's probably why the first thing my dad said after congratulations when we got married was no givebacks. Um, it's a true story. He, he gave her a big hug, said congratulations, and said, by the way, no givebacks, he's your problem now. Um, I also have uh, incredible middle child energy. Any other middle childs in the room? Like, I'm one of them. It's never my fault. It's always someone else, right? Uh, I swear my, my brother and sister teamed up on me and, and just threw me under the bus for everything. Uh, to be fair, I probably did most of the things that I got in trouble for, uh, but not all of them, not all of them. Now, most of us, I mean, we, we don't like admitting when we're wrong, right? It's probably why a big reason why this section of prayer that we're talking about this morning can be difficult for us. Uh, we've been talking through the Lord's Prayer. You'll see it back here on the screen. The past few weeks we've been talking through the Lord's Prayer, and today we're looking at this section of the Lord's Prayer that says, forgive us our debts. Uh, because uh, So this part of the prayer is a confessional prayer, or what I like to call the I was wrong prayer. Anyone that, that hurt anyone else? Like, goodness. Uh, the I was wrong prayer, because if you think about it, that's kind of what it is. When we ask someone to forgive us, it's because we did something wrong against them, and we're saying, I was wrong, can you forgive me? And when we're praying to God, asking for forgiveness, it's admitting to God that we were wrong, and we went against him. And that's not a fun one, right? Now, I struggled a bit kind of working through the sermon this morning. Rick and I have joked a little bit because uh, I said, you would give me confessional prayer on the fourth Sunday with the kids joining us. 
you bully. Um, so, so I struggled writing this because I wanted to make sure like, that kids, you would have fun in here, but at the same time, I don't want anyone to miss out on the importance of this, uh, of, of confessional prayer, because this topic is incredibly important, especially in today's climate and culture. So I don't want to cheapen it. I don't want to like sugarcoat it at all. So I'm, I'm working on having some fun here, but I also want everyone to hear what God has to speak to them this morning. Uh, so I want to encourage you guys, parents, sometime today, carve out some time, talk to your kiddos about confessional prayer, what it means, why it's important to them as well. Because, I mean, I don't know about you guys, I've got a 17-month-old now, which is weird to think about, time flies. Uh, but I want to make sure that I'm teaching her the right ways to go. I want to make sure that I'm teaching her the importance of this so she doesn't grow up awkward like dad. And when dad's going to, you know, pray forgiveness, it's the I was wrong prayer. I want her to be ready for that. I want her to be excited to have that prayer. So uh, in this prayer, there's more to it than just saying I was wrong. Like that's a big piece of it. But we're going to camp out this morning on a psalm that's known as the penitent prayer or an I was wrong prayer. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to camp out in Psalm 51. Now, a little bit of backstory for this. Psalm 51 was written by King David after he made uh, what we like to call some incredibly sketchy choices. Uh, David did some amazing things, right? We know the story where he kills Goliath with a sling, uh, where, where he, he's the king of Israel. He's what we call a man after God's own heart. Like, we know him for some pretty great things. But when we read through the Bible, we also know that David did some not-so-great things in his time. And in 2 Samuel, it tells us about this pretty big moment in David's life where bad choice after bad choice led him further and further down a road of sin. And if you haven't read about David and Bathsheba and her husband Uriah, I would recommend you go read that afterwards to get some context for it. It's a good example of what sin can do in our lives. We're not going to focus in on that part of the story because we want to focus on the response first and foremost. But I just want to encourage you guys, if you have time, to read through that. Um, and if you haven't watched it, there's a super dope Veggie Tales about this. I think it's called like King George and the Rubber Ducky. Um, <clears throat> so it's pretty great. I grew up on Veggie Tales, uh, and it's it's awesome. So I recommend watching that. I mean, it's just great. <clears throat> but throughout the story, David's shame keeps him from doing the right thing. And his sins keep building up one after the other until eventually God sends this man named Nathan to go help David see that he was in the wrong. And, and Nathan goes to David and he begins telling him this story about this rich man and poor man. And it says in the story that the rich man had a bunch of stuff. He was well off. He, anything that he could want, he had. And there was this poor man who had like this, this one little lamb he took care of it. He fed it. You know, he, it, was, it was his world. And a traveler shows up, and the rich man takes the lamb from the poor man, slaughters it, you know, just kills it, and then feeds the traveler with it. Uh, and David, as Nathan is telling him this story, he gets really mad. He's like, what the heck? This guy, like, we need to find this guy. We need to take him out. He needs to die. He needs to pay back four times for what he did. Like, you know, goes off. This is a terrible person. And it's, it's really funny because then Nathan just says, yo, bro, you are the rich man in the story. It says, you are the man. God gave you everything. And if that weren't enough, God would have given you even more. But you chose to do what was wrong. Thankfully, 
David hears this and receives it well and finally realizes that he's being stupid and needs to figure things out. But from this situation, we get Psalm 51, which is David's prayer of forgiveness for the sin that he committed in this time. So we're going to dive into this starting just in verse 1 in Psalm 51. And it says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. So we're going to stop there for a second. First off, can I just say that I am incredibly glad that we don't have to sound nearly as fancy as David does when he's praying. I would be in a lot of trouble. I am not uh, a fancy talker. I am not an eloquent person. I am just me. This is what you get. So I am glad that we don't have to talk like David does because David is a beautiful writer. He's a beautiful speaker. He's a poet. He's that kind of guy. That's not me. Uh, And so I'm glad for that. The words in this aren't the important part. What's important is what's behind those words where they're coming from, why David is saying these words. And right off the bat, David opens up his prayer by owning up to what he had done. It's the I was wrong part of this whole prayer. So the first part in this is admitting that what we have done is sin. David tells us so clearly that when we sin, it may affect those around us, but it's ultimately against God that we sin. God would be totally justified in saying no when David asked for forgiveness and just bringing judgment against him. But David owns up to it, having faith in God's mercy and goodness, hoping that God will forgive him for these things because of who God is. When we pray for forgiveness, it's important for us to remember that there's only one person, there's only one who can forgive our sins. So in our prayer, when we own up to our sins, we're admitting that we were in the wrong And really, the key word for this section is humility, which is not a fun word. I do not like the word humility. That is not me. Uh, I may be an introvert at heart, but I am still, like, so bullheaded, and this is who I am. So when it comes to humility, it's a hard one. Uh, But this prayer is a humble plea to the God of the universe to forgive us for going against him. Uh, In 2 Chronicles, there's, there's a verse where the Lord is speaking to Solomon, and it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Now, God's speaking to Solomon in this moment, but he makes it so clear that we are called to humble ourselves before him in these moments. It's admitting really that God is God. And can we just say amen to that because we are not God? Oh, my goodness. It's like a huge, huge weight off the shoulders. I'm not responsible for the universe. God can do that. Thank you. Uh, It's admitting that his ways are better than our ways because that's the truth. And that we went against him in doing our sin. It's never fun admitting that we're wrong. But humility is what paves the way for the next part of the prayer, which picks up in verse 6 where it says, yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with, and I always, this word hyssop, I want to say it. I don't know if that's the right way of saying it, but that's how I'm saying it. 
Uh, Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. So while the first part is admitting we were wrong, the second part is telling us that posture and prayer is important. I don't know about you guys. I grew up in prayer, and pe- or I grew up in church, and people talk about posture and prayer. And I was like, I don't understand what that means. Why does God care if I'm slouching when I'm praying? Like, do I have to sit up straight when I pray to God? Is that is that the thing? It was the weirdest thing. Like, that was just such a churchy thing that people kept saying. This posture of prayer, and I was like, I don't understand. But really, having a posture of repentance is all about our hearts. It's not about how we stand or sit or any of that. It's where our heart is when we're asking for prayer. Why are we praying for God to forgive us? There are a lot of people who live their lives doing whatever they want Monday morning to Saturday night, and then they dedicate that one Sunday to God, thinking that asking forgiveness is just a get-out-of-jail-free card. But the reality is King David still had consequences for what he did. He didn't just get away from those consequences. He asked for forgiveness, and this, this whole psalm is such a humble, like, could you imagine being King David where he wrote this out in a book that for thousands of years they would look back at? I don't want people to look at my mess like a week from now. But we look back at David's life, and, and this is a humble moment where, where David knows he's not getting away from the consequences of sin, but he needs to make his heart right. Uh, I grew up getting grounded basically every day of my life. I think I was grounded more than I wasn't. Uh, just, just being honest here, uh, that's how I lived. And I remember always getting mad because I would apologize, thinking that's the right thing. And my parents would say, we appreciate that. You're still grounded. I'm like, what the heck? Then what's the point of apologizing? Uh, so my parents wanted me to realize that apologizing is important and repenting is important, but you don't get away from the consequences. Instead, I went the wrong way. It's like, well, fine, I'm not apologizing for that anymore. Uh, don't do what I did. Don't do what I did. Um, and, and my parents always joked that really grounding me was grounding themselves. Uh, parents in the room, you probably know that there's a lot of truth in that statement. And as I've gotten older, I was like, man, my parents hated life. Because they were grounded all the time. And I was the kid that tried to get away with things when I was grounded. And like, so they had to be on top of it. But really, parents know that punish, when, you know, punishing a kid is less about what they did wrong and more about we want them to do what's right. We want them to move away from what's going on. We don't want them to do the wrong thing over and over. And apologizing and asking forgiveness doesn't just wipe out the consequences, but it does help correct our hearts and the consequences. If we really have a posture of repentance, then we're not only saying sorry for what we've done, but we're turning away from it and not doing that anymore. When we sin, we're choosing ourselves over God, deciding that we want to do things our way and not his way. Really, we're forming distance between us and him, not because God wants any distance from us, but because we're choosing to walk away from what God's doing. When we truly repent, we're turning from what we were doing and moving closer to God. We want to be closer to him. 
This section of prayer is reminding us that God is the God of the universe and that we desperately need to be in his presence. It's less of running away from our sin and more of running towards God. So when we own up to our sin in humility and we have the right posture of repentance, it opens us up to the last section of this prayer, and that is our response. So in Psalm 51, verse 14, it says, Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. Because we're not deserving of forgiveness, and he chooses in his goodness to give us mercy, our response should be gratitude. I mean, got to be thankful for that, right? Again, he's God, I'm not. Thank you so much for that. We should be thankful for his goodness. And that gratitude comes out in the response of worship. We can't truly worship God until we're right with him. And confession is our way of getting right with God, of realigning with him. We humble ourselves before him, admit that we were wrong and his way is right, and ask for forgiveness so that we can draw closer to him. Then we can truly worship him for his goodness. And when we're talking about worship, it's not just singing songs on a Sunday morning, although I love doing that. Um, I'll be in the back singing at the top of my lungs because that's what I love to do. But Romans 12.1 says it's so much more than that, right? It tells us that true worship is living our lives as a sacrifice daily. When we live our lives for God and we follow him and our lives are a testament to who he is, we're worshiping him in that. And David is telling us that if we truly want to live our lives for worship, to worship God, then getting right with our sin is essential in that step, in that process. God's goodness is something we should be celebrating nonstop. I mean, goodness, I am not worthy of the, the, the forgiveness of the mercy that God gives me. People around us should see that there's something different about us just by the way we live our lives and worship and gratitude to God. The reality is that he doesn't have to forgive me, but because he's good, he does. To me, the only response I can have in that is worship, to be thankful for what he's done for me. And the best way to worship God is living a life that brings him glory and shows those around us just how awesome he is. Now, this prayer, this prayer in Psalm is a great example for us. You know, this is David's prayer of forgiveness. I screwed up. You are God. I am not. Please, God, I just want to be in your presence. I'm not worthy of it, but you are the God of mercy and grace and love. And God, because of that, I want to worship you. We don't have to sound nearly as fancy as David does in our prayers, but the three pieces are important to our prayer when it comes to confession. We see that humble heart. You know, he, God decides what is sin and what is not, not us. We see that posture of repentance. We're turning from the sinful decisions and actions that we've made and drawing closer to God through our confession. It's not just a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's a decision to draw closer to God, even knowing that there will be consequences. And finally, we respond by worshiping the creator of the universe, the one who doesn't have to forgive us, but he does anyways. Enough so that he gives us mercy and love even when we don't deserve it. Enough so that in order to bridge the gap between us, his son paid the ultimate sacrifice for us. Now, 
These, these are three parts of that prayer. But the Bible gives us this fourth step with repenting, and it involves others. Uh, James 5.16 tells us, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The Bible makes it so clear that we are made for community. That's where we're meant to be. It's not just optional when it comes to being Christian. We're called to be part of the body of Christ. This right here is such a great example of why. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. It also helps keep us accountable. You were never meant to live life alone. And by being in community and being open with each other, we can give accountability to each other and help us not slip back into those practices. And you may feel like you can't confide in those around you. But take heart in knowing David's story. I mean, like I said, David's whole story is in a book for thousands of years that we can read. I'm glad that my story is not laid out nearly like that. But we can take heart in knowing that David messed up royally, but God also forgave him. God loved him. He was still called a man after God's own heart, even though he screwed up. God gives grace to us when we humbly and honestly seek him out. And I just want to take a moment this morning just to talk straight with you guys because I don't want anyone to miss out on this. This is such an important part. <clears throat> Sometimes we receive forgiveness, but we don't receive healing from the circumstance. We ask God for forgiveness, and of course God forgives us because he loves us, but that circumstance holds on to us. We remember, I mean, gosh, there's moments where we'll remember something from 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, something that brings shame to us. Even though we know God's forgiven us, it comes back up. <clears throat> and the easiest way for the enemy to keep us in sin is to keep us in shame. By confessing to others, it takes away that power of shame and it helps us to heal. And let's be real, right? Talking about our sin with other people can be incredibly uncomfortable. Like I said, introvert through and through. I can talk in front of a crowd. I cannot talk to a crowd. You know, it's just awkward for me. So it can be uncomfortable talking about things that we're dealing with. But like I was saying at the beginning, we, you know, we may not like to admit we're wrong, but confessional prayer is this amazing gift from God, a way to bridge that gap to help us put God first, to help us draw closer to him in our circumstance. And obviously that means that it's something that Satan doesn't want us to do, right? When we let our shame keep us in hiding, we give Satan power over our lives. And the truth is the only power that Satan has over our lives is the power that we give him. I mean, what would it have looked like if David never admitted his guilt? And what if shame drove him as far as to deny what Nathan was saying? Just told him, ah, I think you're crazy. I don't know what you're talking about. We'll go away. We wouldn't have this, this Psalm 51, this beautiful confessional prayer. And David's life would have looked really different the kingdom of Israel would have looked really different. The problem is we begin to trade guilt for shame in our lives. Uh, this is something that I think uh, my youth pastor told me years and years ago, and it keeps me going, and I've remembered it to this day. It's guilt tells us that we've done something wrong, but shame says that we are something wrong. 
Guilt drives us to change, drives us to want to correct what's going on, correct our issues, correct the sin that we've had. But shame drives us to hide. And when our sin becomes our identity, we hide away who we are. I mean, let's think about Adam and Eve who committed the very first sin ever, right? What was their response? Shame drove them to hide from God. And much like Adam and Eve, our response is to hide from God and from others. To put that mask on, you know, everyone's heard about that, Sunday morning masks, right? We come to church happy, smiling, everything's fine. We're feeling shame, we're feeling guilt, we're feeling all these things on the inside, but we're, we're fine on the outside, right? But that's not community. That's not living life to its fullest. The reality is a Christian community, the Christian, the church, needs to do a better job at processing through guilt and shame and helping each other through sin issues. Why is it that we hide so much? Think about how you yourself would have reacted if someone like David came to you and started confessing the things that he had done. You know, I was thinking about that. I was like, man, I don't know if I would have had the best reaction. I mean, he kind of killed a guy, right? That's, that's a no-no. The Bible says we're not supposed to do that. I don't know if I would have had the best reaction to David. But our response should be grace and love in that. There's truth in it. There's consequence in that. But we should still have grace and love towards those people. What would your reaction have been if you were in David's shoes? How would you want someone to respond to you? There is a total fear of judgment and condemnation for our sins if we talk to someone. And that's not what the church is meant to look like. You know, Romans 8.1 says there is now no condemnation. There's no condemnation. There's no condemning. Grace and love. Truth, but grace and love. Because the reality is we're all in the same boat. We've all screwed up. Myself included, probably more than most. And I'm okay admitting that. We all sin. We all struggle. Us as Christians have to get better at allowing confession to happen in our community. If we're not there for each other, if we're not a community that invites confession and gives grace, then we're actually working against what God wants to do here. We're not called to judge, but we are called to help each other, to hold each other accountable, and to be there for one another. Really, confession, like I said, is an incredible gift to each and every one of us. Confession brings healing and helps us draw closer to God. And we need to be better with confession, both in our own confession, myself, and being there for others who need to confess, who need to receive healing for it. And please know, like, the staff at Foundation Church is here for you guys. My goodness, if you want to give me a phone call, give me a phone call. You want to go meet up for coffee? I love meeting up for coffee. I will sit and talk for hours over a cup of coffee. But we're here for you. You're not alone. And if you ever want to talk, if you ever need to talk, don't hesitate. Like I said, I don't want anyone to miss out this morning on what God is talking to us. God doesn't want anyone to miss out this morning. You cannot do anything to earn more or less of God's love. And you cannot do anything to qualify or disqualify you from God's grace. And before we go into a time of worship, I just want us to take a pause and ask God to search us this morning. Ask him to help us see if there's anything that we need to confess and get right with him. And maybe as I'm talking, you, there's something that's coming up in your head already and you're like, man, I need to pray about this right now. But we're gonna take a moment and we're just gonna let God work within us so that we can respond in worship. 
And during that worship, we'll have people in the back you can pray with. Uh, there will be several of us back there while, while the songs are going. If you need to confess, if you need to pray over anything, not just confess, but pray because we're here for each other. If you need prayer, we'll be in the back for you. But I just want you guys to stand up with me this morning as we close out. Like I said, I just want to take a pause. And the team will just play a little bit quietly here in the background. I just want to take us, us to take a moment, each and every one of us, just to pray on our own way to God. Let God check out our hearts and see where we're at. And then I'll pray and then we'll go into a time of worship together. God, I just pray this morning for each and every one of us. God, confession is something we all need to do a better job at. Whether it's confessing our own sins or helping others to confess to us. And I pray that, God, we would be a community of grace and love. God, that we'd be able to speak truth to people. Truth to our brothers and sisters in just such a loving way. God, we realize that when we ask for forgiveness... It's not getting away from the consequence, but it's correcting ourselves with you, realigning with what you have in store for us. So I just pray this morning, God, that, that you would search our hearts. God, help us to repent this morning of anything that keeps us separated from you. Anything that's leading us away from you, God, I pray that we would lay it at your feet. Because, God, you are the God of the universe. You are God, and I am not. We are not. So we lay these things at your feet, God, so we can draw closer to you, so we can be in your presence, so we can truly worship you with our lives. God, as we go into this time of worship, I pray that that's where we would be at, a place of true worship, lifting our voices loud and excited and thankful because we can't do anything but be excited about the, the forgiveness that you show us, the mercy and the love and the grace and the kindness that you give us. So we dedicate this space to you, God. We give it to you. We just thank you for it. In your name we pray. Amen.